Good morning. Sunday morning. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Wrong Think Radio. I'm your host, Aaron, broadcasting from just outside the nation's capital in beautiful Northern Virginia. And I'm Alan, coming to you from the lovely and overcast greater Seattle metropolitan area. And this is Wrong Think Radio, so to our live program that we bring you guys every single week, or at least mostly every single week, to give you our facts and analysis of what's going on in the world, what's happening in the news, trying to make sense of everything, trying to break through all of the propaganda, the lies, the BS... And of course, the narratives, as we're always, Fantastic. always want to do. Now, <clears throat> little programming announcement, and I will not get weird about it, but I am going to bring it up. Uh, for those of you who pay attention in our chat and those of you who are part of our Discord, uh, I did have to announce that there is going to be an absence in our chat, um, a long, regular on the program in our chat. Old Goat, who happened to actually be my father, uh, passed away on Friday. So uh, we will not have his uh, random lectures about me, uh, how late the show has gone. Um, <laughs> we won't have any more uh, weird, boomery dad joke comments uh, any longer um, in the chat. But that is the reason why there was not a show last Friday, uh, because he was hospitalized. But um, he was a huge fan of the program. Uh, I would always have to field his uh, text messages about what he thinks is really going on and his phone calls after the show where he would give me a full evaluation of what he thought, the subjects that he thought, and then his own um, <laughs> his own random comments as to what he thinks is really going on. Mm-hmm. Um so I will be, uh, be it's going to be a very busy week um, and a very busy week after that uh, because that's when we're going to be doing the services. So a lot of coordination going on and things like that. But this show is is honestly a really good reprieve for me. It's something I enjoy doing. Um, and it was it was something that did bond us really well. So it's I'm not going to lie to everybody. It's very weird because in a lot of ways, part of what encouraged me to this show um, was the fact that it was something my dad and I would talk about all the time. He would love to call me about politics. He would love to randomly send me, oh my God, have you heard about this? And because he was like 80, you know, and his main source of information was Fox News, I'd be like, I'd pretend like I was surprised. You know, oh, wow, dad. That's yeah, that's crazy. real crazy, huh? Yeah, totally didn't talk about that two weeks ago on the show, but I'm not going to be mean to you. <laughs> so, um, so it will be very weird. Um, but, you know, as they say, the show must go on. Um, <clears throat> a lot of weird stuff to talk about. Uh, Alan, you've been absent for the last uh, few shows because you've been out in Italy. And True. I would love it if you could give kind of a, a strange evaluation of what it's like to, to go to the place that, well, I'm, I'm going to frame it this way. What was it like going to the place where you were seeing the art that now we see the left try to attribute consistently to white supremacy because they always say anyone who's got a Greek or Roman statue in their uh, in their Twitter handles probably a white supremacist. And you were in a fascist country because I remember that Italy 
was a fascist country because uh, they elected, what was it? Is it Maloney? Is Maloney, that her name? Yes. Yeah. And she's, she's like an Uber fascist. She's like a little Mussolini. <laughs> so, so please explain what it was like going into the heart of fascism and white supremacy in Italy for a brief minute. Well, I did a, so basically I spent a week in Rome uh, and then in Tuscany for a lovely wedding, which I was very, very uh, honored to attend. And uh, Italy was, was very nice. It was a lovely place to visit. Rome was incredibly impressive just from the historical perspective. And it is honestly quite humbling to stand outside some of these buildings like the Pantheon and look at it and think this is something around, what, 2,000 years old? It's like these, and, and the, the fact that people could even build things like this, and not even necessarily the Pantheon, which was built during the Roman Empire, but going to places like St. Peter's Basilica and standing inside and looking at the indescribable majesty of these hu this huge cathedral and thinking that the entirety of this was built before power tools. Yeah. Power tools did not exist when this was built. I think it was built in maybe the 1700s at the very latest. And I mean, just and that I found absolutely shocking. The amount of work and effort that had to go into building any of this stuff because it was all done with essentially just hand power. I mean, I mean, you maybe had I don't even know if you had steam power to do any of this. That was incredible the amount of effort and labor and work and care and engineering without all the modern conveniences that that was even able to be organized and done was something i found in just unbelievably impressive and otherwise italy was italy was lovely it's just there's some bizarre differences with the united states that eventually started getting on my getting on my nerves they use really <laughs> dumb outlets and uh they put all their light switches in places where you don't expect them to be and that was <laughs> of the things i wasn't expected to be annoyed by uh by the end of the trip being ha having to walk into a room and then go okay now where do they decide to put the light switches this time was <laughs> honestly more of an annoyance than i ever would have thought it would have been but i'm granted they're retrofitting buildings that are possibly 400 years old to have electricity at some point before any kind of building standards were applied. So I'm cutting them a little slack. Um, <laughs> and of course the food was great and not so much just like all the regular, like the actual food going out to a fancy dinner. I'm talking the, the coffee shop in the airport had better sandwiches than I can buy at fancy sandwich places out here in Seattle. And that was just like, Oh yeah, two euros here. I don't know. Take one. It was like, this is amazing. It's prosciutto and mozzarella, and it's so good. And this is just the throwaway sandwich at the coffee shop. So otherwise, it was, it was a lovely trip. It was a great place to be. And it was, I highly recommend it because it was absolutely incredible to see essentially what it, at the time was really the height of one of the big heights of Western civilization. That it's especially before really the industrial revolution really kicked off. It's like a lot of these churches, like the churches I found the most impressive, these things were being built in the 1500s, mm -hmm. which is before, you know, all the modern stuff. And the fact that, that they were able to be organized and done and that expenditure, it's just the, it's something I think we take very much for granted, that history of Europe and how, they were able to go and how they were able to build all of these things 
before we really think of the ascendancy of Europe, it's not like they had the same technology level as, you know, places in Africa, probably less technology than places in Africa do today. And yet they were somehow able to manage these unbelievable building projects. And that with the engineering involved, I mean, that was just, just in a very humbling experience. And indeed, pretty interesting to me to have the, the revelation of, you know, I was there, I was looking at this old, I was in this very old church, it was built in the maybe 1500s, and I think the interior was really finished in the 1700s, but otherwise, just incredible marble and gold, and just unbelievable. And I was looking at this incredible marble sculpture of, you know, Saint So-and-so, the, the martyrdom of Saint So-and-so. And I remember looking at it and just thinking like, this is depicting the martyrdom of some saint who died in like in 70 AD or something along those lines. And right. I remember looking at it thing is like, this was like, as a, as a Christian, I have this, I don't think about the heritage I have with the, over the hundreds of years of other like Christians and Europeans that have looked at this same marble statue this same statue here going back to hundreds depicting events that i have this sort of connection to that i don't really think about on a daily basis and i and i probably should it's like there is a connection that i have to all of this that i hadn't really appreciated before going there and being kind of immersed with this history that it's like there's this hundreds of years of people striving and struggling and all uh, connected. And I think being that close to a lot of this history brings that, brought that more into focus. And even back to the ancient Roman ruins, it's like, you see the Colosseum and you think, well, I have this rather even tenuous link, even just on civilizational terms, like the building blocks of the society that I live in absolutely stretch back to this point. I mean, there are ideas of the from the Roman Republic that have carried through through the Renaissance and to today, and I don't know. I think it is easy to lose to not have that perspective and feel like, well, there's this. It's not we're not just at the end of history now. We are kind of the culm like everything that's going on today is the culmination of all of these this narrative of history that stretches back all this way, and not even in a theoretical sense, in a very real an absolute sense that that and I thought that was probably the most impressive thing to me was to just be there and think that uh, there is all of all of this is real like it's easy to think of history as just in history books but it's actually very real and and uh, and has been the whole time and was very real for all the people involved for every for the last couple thousand years even you know up to today you and know, so I was always... just—it was an interesting and humbling experience. I went to the Vatican, so to the Vatican museums, and like seeing the art of Michelangelo in person, and just thinking, "Is like I've seen this in art books and in history books, and actually seeing it in person made all of that kind of real in a way that was really interesting to to think about." That like you know, here always... I am, and it, it's not just the art. That was the other part that was neat. So like mm -hmm. the Sistine Chapel, it's not just the art that's in there. It's that you're in the actual chapel too. This isn't just a painting on a wall. It's the painting on the chapel. And so mm -hmm. it's, I mean, there's a physicality to it that kind of was 
made it even more impressive. It's like, it's not just I'm seeing this thing. I am in the place that was built for this. Mm -hmm. And it's been this place built as this for a couple hundred years. And that was just kind of, it was just a very interesting experience. What's always impressed me, or not impressed me, but like, it's always really funny, right? In in like modern day today, uh, uh, if you watch any, really any, thing about history when it talks about like uh, art or science or medicine, any of that. Um, <clears throat> you'll hear about like these large societies, um, whether it be like, uh, you know, Rome and not necessarily the Roman Empire itself, but like, let's say like the, you know, Roman Christian Empire. And uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it, but there, there was this uh, show, I don't even know if it's still on, um, but it was Neil deGrasse Tyson was attempting to do uh, kind of a like, let's look at like world history through a scientific lens. And he made a show um, called Cosmos. That's what it was called. And what got super annoying about it is at first it was really cool. It was really cool because, you know, it's like a, a representation of like the development of the universe and things like that. But then when he when Neil deGrasse Tyson decided he was going to start talking about different scientists and like introducing them. There was always this thread of story that I, I need to need people to understand always kind of contains a little bit of liberal bullshit in it. And it was every scientist that ever did anything great was persecuted by religion. And it's not actually true. There's a lot of that that's very exaggerated. But when you take a look at things like art and you take a look at things like science that came out of these eras of like, say the, you know, the height of the Christian church, you know, you know, and things like that, it's, you're told in modern day America that religion makes art and science impossible, impossible. Like understand that if you literally, if you pay attention to what is said right now in academia, art can't exist. If there's a religious society, science can't progress. If there's a religious society, except for the entire baseline of their art and the entire baseline of their science was developed in a religious society. All of the art that you witnessed when you were going through the Vatican was created by artists in a very religious society for the celebration of that religious society. Like the great um, the great masters, the Italian master painters were painting the martyrdoms of saints, the crucifixion of Christ, the veneration of Mary. These are things that were so innovative that it was mind blowing to the rest of the world. So much so that, you know, the names of these people, the science and astronomy and all of this other stuff that was being generated were done by people sanctioned by the church. Innovation, soapbox too much about it, but modern day America, modern day academia will tell you they have to paint this story of, well, no, 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 no. All of those people were persecuted. Every single one of them was persecuted. It was so horrible because what they can't have is a religious society that progresses well and creates amazing and innovative things because that runs in defiance of their liberal nonsense. But look at where we're at in comparison. You'll see the meme all the time when you go on social media that was like, we used to have a country 
um, what was it? Like we, we used to have a country, a great country, or we used to have a society, a great society. And people will show like images of like Notre Dame. And then they'll show like this random bug hive apartment building. And that's exactly what these people are referencing. That's exactly what these users on social media are referencing is I don't understand. We had a society that was totally fine with having its own culture, having its religion, you know, celebrating things like that. And they built these amazing things. These just uh, like not only generations lasting buildings and such uh, such amazing artwork and architecture that it's still venerated today. But every single person in academia today will say, oh, that society that lasted back then, it was terrible. It was the worst. They were all just so dumb. They weren't innovative. Like, really, the true science comes from people today. And that's how they're going to present it. And it's completely ridiculous. And I, I think it's a lie. I think that academia over-exaggerates the, quote, persecution of the church and religion because what they don't want people to see is that a lot of the most amazing and culturally revolutionary things that we still recognize today came from people who had, um, I, I would say, not, not just you know a traditional life, but also had a society that they were proud of. And part of that pride came from being parts of those societies that had a church, that had a community, that had a group of people. And and um, I, I, I think we're all being lied to about what it was really and truly like back then. Because, I mean, I guess I'll ask Alan, do you think that every single painting that you saw and every single statue that you saw in, in Rome while you were walking through these great churches and these, you know, museums and things like that, were, were they made by people that were oppressed by the church? Were they being oppressed into painting these great things and carving these great monuments and into building these great structures? Um, were they all oppressed people by the church and forced into um, building these great works? Did you get any sort of feeling uh, that there was oppression behind all of the chisels and paint strokes? Oh, he appears to be muted, so I'll assume that he is currently unavailable, and maybe he'll be able to answer that question. There later. we are. <laughs> uh, I would say, it, I mean, it, it honestly is probably the same oppression coercion that exists behind any great endeavor. It's like the the because we do have to acknowledge the Pope was essentially the king of Rome. He was the king, basically the the king of the papal states. Right. 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 And so there is an element where you say, well, he is was exercising power and had an army and these other things. But that doesn't make the Pope, the Pope and the church any better or worse than really any other kingdom or thing in history. And they oppressed people as much as every single other thing in the every single other thing. Uh, a lot of what people point to is they go, well, the, the Galileo, and they, they called him a heretic, and that was the worst thing in the world because they hated science. When the reality was, it's more Galileo was a patron of the Pope, and it was only when Galileo essentially started using, started trying to justify his conception of the heliocentric universe with Scripture that is what the church found heretical. The Pope had no problem, and indeed was paying him as a patron, when he published his theories on the basis that they remain theories 
it was when he essentially started using Holy Scripture to justify a position that the church, well, that was outside of church doctrine, that is when they called him a heretic and basically called in the Inquisition. It wasn't yeah, they hated science, it was that, which is, again, everybody's view on this is, it's just like slavery. Everyone's view of slavery is, is really boils down to that one scene from that show movie Roots they saw. And it's mm -hmm. really no more complicated. Everyone goes, the Catholic Church was against science because they heard one time that they were mean to Galileo. <laughs> it's like that. It's a lot more nuanced than that, but it also is must be acknowledged that the church was a huge patron of science and learning and saving a lot of the ancient manuscripts of that they were finding in the Crusades. Like without the Catholic Church, a lot of knowledge that ex that the Roman Empire had would have been lost in the fall of the Roman Empire. Right. A lot of the engineering and and such the. The Catholic Church organized the creation of a lot of these big, huge churches and thus promoted and ensured that the in that engineering techniques and construction techniques were not only maintained, but innovated upon. It's like they were a, at, think of it as essentially a power source. You had the church, which was generating a lot of, say, wealth and income and cooperation, and because you had them acting as a focus of a lot of this effort, it a lot of the they were able to power a lot of the work of the Renaissance. You don't get the Renaissance without having the without the church. If the right. church didn't exist, it would not be just oh my beautiful atheist paradise. It would be now thousands of tiny separate sects and smaller churches and belief systems competing with one another. And you maybe you'd get the same result, maybe you wouldn't. But it, a lot of atheists live on this lie that if we just didn't have the church, everything would be a perfect utopia where there'd be no inefficiency in the system. And the reality is, it would not work that way. You would you will inevitably have religions and belief systems. You inevitably will have competing power struggles for things. And I think, I don't know, I think it, the whole thing's a fiction because at the end of the day, a lot of what a lot of atheists want to do is I want to attack religion more than I want to be honest. And so I think a lot of their arguments can just be, are, are faulty because they come from this false premise of at the end of the day, what I really am trying to do is attack religion more than tell the truth. Right, no, 100%. And <clears throat> so... On the next part of this, I mean, thanks for the whole background, but one of the things that's going to be interesting talking about giant engine, massive governing engines and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, one of the big news stories that's coming out, and it's a little bit complex, and I'm, I have a bit of a hot take on it, is that the Silicon Valley Bank has failed. And now people are asking, what's going to happen? Because this looks awkwardly familiar. I distinctly remember mm. there being a financial collapse. And weirdly, I remember Joe Biden's name being something important at that time. And yeah, I'm being a little uh, facetious here, but I can't help but point out that the last time that, let's just be honest, is Biden just an extension of the Obama administration? Survey says yes. Mm -hmm. And strangely, here we are, and a bank is collapsing. And are we going to be heading into a great recession again? Just like what happened in the beginning years of the Obama administration? 
it's looking at least potential. But yeah. I've done some research on this Silicon Valley Bank, and um, I I'm going to immediately state to everybody. Obviously, I am not a financial advisor. I'm not a huge economics wonk, um, but I have a pretty good idea what actually happened here. And I want people to understand, first of all, because <clears throat> you're going to hear a lot of emotional rhetoric now that this bank has failed, uh, because I know what the Democrats are about to try and do. Um, and I'll get to that in a second. But the reason why I say there's a lot of emotional rhetoric is everyone's going to talk about depositors. And the reason why they're going to talk about depositors is because you yourself are a depositor and they are attempting to appeal to you what they what they want you to be afraid of so they can emotionally manipulate you into supporting them is they want you to believe that this is going to happen to you it's going to happen to you guys and you have to support what they say or else the bad thing might happen to you but i need you to understand something the people that are going to be hurt in this banking collapse and i'm not trying to do any sort of class warfare here but i want people to understand it is anyone who had more than $250,000 sitting in their bank account. I don't know about you, but that's a hell of a lot of money. And that doesn't make anyone a bad person. Having money doesn't make you a bad person. I'm not a liberal. I don't hate people for their wealth. But at the same time, they're not me. And I see a lot of Democrats trying to make me feel like these are me. But like, I don't know, like, Alan, do you have $250,000 in a bank account right now? I do not. I don't either. It's a quarter of a million dollars. It's an incredible amount of money. Well, let's but, just be and to clarify. Mm -hmm. I don't know that many people have two hundred fifty thousand dollars, just liquid assets sitting in a bank account. I think many people might be worth have more wealth than two hundred fifty thousand dollars. But I would imagine that if you have two hundred fifty thousand dollars, most people will have invested a large chunk of that, and their dollar value sitting just unused in a bank account might be less than that. Certainly. But the reason why I'm pointing this out is the FDIC has now taken over Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, the That's the Federal Deposit and Investments Commission. The FDIC guarantees all deposits in the bank um, of a maximum of $250,000. It's it's actually like the wording of it is a little interesting. Um, it's actually a minimum of $250,000. Or basically it's, we can guarantee up to 250,000, possibly more. But if you have, you know, we basically, if everything goes to, goes to hell, you will get insured $250,000. If you have $25 million in that bank and it all disappears, you're going to get $250,000. Like you're going to lose, a, that's a lot of money to lose. Um, but that that is how that works, right? Now that the FDIC has taken over that bank, every depositor that had however much money in there uh, will get either, if they're under 250, they'll get back what they had, or they'll get up to 250, but no more than that, likely. No more than that is likely, um, regardless of how much they deposited. And so that is money that was held in the bank that the bank then used for investments. And mm. so what we are talking about is people who invested or not invested, I'm sorry. What we are talking about is people who had their money deposited in the bank. We're not talking liquid investments. We're not talking because those are risk. 
right? Those are risks sure. and securities and all of that. But these are people who put money into a bank, but you know, think of it in the very simple context of sitting in the vault somewhere or what the hell ever, right? This was the amount of money that people had sitting in a bank account, which I'm going to be honest with you. And like I said, this isn't a class warfare thing. I don't want people to misinterpret this, but these are very rich people. The concern that the Democrats are trying to push out right now are for the very rich people that they themselves say they hate. Somebody who can literally have $250,000 just sitting in a savings account, that's an incredible amount of money. Mm-hmm. Now, to be fair, there's also a lot of businesses, right? And that's where the big effect is also going to be. There's a lot of businesses that were holding money in there. And so this does affect downstream to people who aren't uber rich. Point is though, how did a bank fail? How could this happen? And how do I know that Democrats are going to try to bail out a big bank? Well, I watched the narrative get spun up the last couple of days. And once again, it's going to sound very familiar because we're seeing a lot of patterns. There's not a lot of creativity in the Democrat party anymore. And what it is, is they are now saying, well, this happened because Republicans and Donald Trump deregulated banking. Sound familiar? So Joe Biden has been the president of the United States for two years, half of his term. He's been president for half the time that Donald Trump was president of the United States. But when a train car falls off the tracks at basically the two-year mark of Joe Biden's presidency, it's still somehow Donald Trump's fault because a long, long time ago, he deregulated a thing. And that's why trains are falling off the tracks. Now, we all know that even the NTSB had to come out and say nothing that Donald Trump did would have changed anything about this train car falling off in uh, East Palestine, Ohio, right? But it's still Donald Trump's fault because he did a dereg. He did a bad thing. So I I don't know about you. I am getting so tired. Like if we were logical human beings and if, if our media was honest and if our, you know, discourse was in good faith, you wouldn't be allowed halfway through your presidency to blame the, to blame the last guy, because the way you need to approach this when you're debating your liberal friends or you're on social media is, so what the hell has Biden done in the last two years of his presidency? What have the Democrats done in the last, however, what was it, 2018 to 2023? The Democrats were in charge of Congress. So Mm -hmm. what they're basically admitting to is, well, we didn't do anything. We knew all of this bad stuff happened because of Donald Trump, but we just didn't do anything about it. Is is that what they're admitting? Because it sure as hell sounds like it. If they were so upset over the, quote, deregulation of banks by Donald Trump, why? I don't understand. How come in t- 2021, why didn't the Democrat Congress uh, then pass a regulation on the banks and then send it to the Democrat Senate, which could have been easily you know, voted for in reconciliation because they had the 51st vote through the uh, vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris. And then it could have gone to the Democrat president who would have signed it into law. Why didn't any of that happen? I don't understand. So they're saying, well, we could have done literally anything about this. We just chose not to. But it's still Donald Trump's fault somehow for reasons. Right. Exactly. Now, why are they doing it? Why are they blaming Trump? Well, easy. 
because they need to sell their liberal base a reason for them to do the thing in 2008 that they were pissed off about that the Republicans did. And what was that, you might ask? They bailed out the banks, which is interesting because it's apparently the Republicans' fault that the banks were bailed out, even though Barack Obama was the president of the United States at the time. But okay, sure. Yeah. Now remember, when the banks got bailed out in 2008-2009, liberals were infuriated, right? Oh, absolutely. It was the worst. It was disgusting. It was gross. How dare they? How dare they bail out the big banks? Oh my gosh, the big banks. They're out there saving the big banks. <laughs> the Democrats are about to do it. And they marched out their favorite punching bag, which is Donald Trump. It's Donald Trump's fault. And it's because he deregulated. Well, let me tell you what actually happened and why I think uh, Silicon Valley Bank failed. Number one, what do you think the primary focus of SVB was in the financial markets? Uh, was it servicing a bunch of Silicon Valley businesses? It was tech startups, which by the way, are highly risky. Everyone knows that the, anyone that's in the financial sector knows that tech startups are exceedingly risky, but let's, what if we added a little bit more risk onto that? Because who were they specifically looking for? Well, they say it on their own website and they celebrate it with some of their chief financial or their chief revenue officer celebrating it on places like LinkedIn, where they celebrate specifically helping tech startups from disenfranchised communities. Oh, wow. So wokeism. They were focusing on disenfranchised communities. They were celebrating all of the great efforts that they were making in the LGBTQAAIP2 plus S whatever areas. They were focused on ESG. They're the 16th largest bank in the country. And one of their primary focuses was ESG, which is oh. basically wokeism. Now, so that's what they were focused on when they were out buying things, but also they're basically a celebrity bank. They were being pushed by all of the big major libs in California to include the fact that that's where Meghan Markle and Harry kept oh. their money. They may have just lost millions of dollars, by the way. Why? Because all the cool woke libs were putting their money in that bank. It was so popular with the shit libs that Jim Cramer from CNBC's Mad Money, who has never made a good call ever, I believe just a month ago, was encouraging people who were watching CNBC to invest their money into SVB because it was just such a great bank. Now that everything has gone hell, there are every there there are scads of financial advisors, people who watch the market, who have actually said and have flat out put out that they've been warning of the collapse of this bank for a very long time because of how overstretched its securities were and how risky its securities were. But why wouldn't Ooh. anyone listen to them? Well, because they weren't popular. 
what was what was it about uh what was it about Silicon Valley Bank that made it so popular? It was woke. It's simple as that. It is truly as simple as that. It was woke. It was the new shiny thing that all of the left-wing trust fund kids were excited about and crapping their money into because they were going to push all this DE&I nonsense. They were only going to fund the most liberal and the most woke uh, startups, and they were going to, I don't know, what ESG the hell out of everything. They only wanted to give, well, first of all, let me rephrase that. ESG, which is what it's equity, something, something ESG equity. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. I, I always lose it. Um, I think it's like equity securities. Um, it's environmental, social, and governance score. There we go. Yeah. Environmental, social, and governance score. So believe it or not, the financial markets have been taken over by the wokesters through people like Larry Fink, Fink of BlackRock and, and stuff like that. And where they now score people by this ESG score. So you have to be green, you have to be woke, you know, you have to be liberal. Um, yeah. And then you are basically looked at as being better, not, not <laughs> understand. This is what SVB is showing us. Not better for your money, better as a human being. Why? Right. Because crapping all of your money into globalist nonsense. You're financing global progressivism. That's why they like it. So they give you a better score and they'll basically cut you a deal. But why do you need ESG? Why do you need it? Because in reality, there's no real money there. It's a grift and it's all bullshit. That's why these investment firms had to create ESG because there's no real market encouragement for people to invest their money because woke businesses mm -hmm. waste money on bullshit. What is a bank's job? A bank's yeah. job is to make money. Is a bank's job to, you know, cure the planet from climate change? No. Is a bank's job to take care of the social inequity that we see throughout the world? No. Their job is to make money and to secure people's money and to grow their wealth. That's the job of a bank. But that's not what progressives want a bank to do. Progressives want to be able to use the bank and its money to control and push society in a certain direction. And that is why this bank has failed. And that is why this is indicative of a further potential collapse and why the Democrats are freaking out right now because we now have it on paper that this woke nonsense is absolutely destructive because part of the reason why Silicon Valley Bank failed, and this is going to sound crazy. And like I said, I'm not a financial advisor, but I've, I've read up a pretty good amount on this. They were overstretching their investments in a shrinking market. As early as, say, six or eight months ago, post-COVID, a lot of people weren't investing in tech or they were being a little bit more uh, conservative with their investments in tech because there was a tech boom during COVID. But anybody who's not a moron would know that that was going to go away. Like, Alan, I'll ask you, I'm not saying you're a moron, but um, you, know, you don't pay a lot of attention to finances. Why do you think tech stocks might have been doing well during COVID? Uh, because there's a bunch of money getting funneled into them. Well, sure. But why would that money be getting funneled into them? 
Why would tech be doing remarkably well profit-wise during COVID? Well, because a lot of tech companies were involved in the kind of COVID response. So they were invest inventing new ways to do contactless things. And I mean, there's a lot of yeah, there was a lot of innovation around COVID that people were pushing money into, seeing a market potential for, oh, like we're going to need all of these. Everything's going to have to go virtual. We're going to need virtual money. We're going to need virtual this. We need virtual that so that people don't have to interact with each other. And I think a lot of investors looked at COVID and said, well, there it, this is a big investment opportunity because there is now this market need for a bunch of new technological innovations that were not that before were not as necessary. Remote services. Things like, oh, we can now have payment, that payment for things, not, not using cash, that is contactless, all the stuff that went virtual over COVID, that yep. it's now virtual this instead of in-person that. So I think a lot of people could make a very reasonable case during the whole COVID scare about why their business, et cetera, was worth a uh, investment by these techers. Right. So, and, and that it's as simple as that is there was a boom in the tech industry during COVID because everything was going remote. And because of that, you know, that remote response, there was a lot of money being sunk into innovation. People who were making things that were contactless, the ability to, you know, e even some of your, you know, known entities, Amazon obviously did exceedingly well, uh, you know, some fairly new gig economy. Uh, companies like Grubhub and things like that saw a huge spike and some changes in the industry. But anyone who's even vaguely smart knows that this was not going, you know, this wasn't going to be massively sustainable once regular, once lockdowns and things like that eased, uh, things would go back to a baseline of normal. Sure. So why is this bank, SVB, still investing in a bunch of tech startups when everyone else is kind of slimming down? What I, I can tell you why some of their investors might have, and then what would have actually led to the massive collapse, and that is because the United States government has been lying to you. They haven't been lying to us. We've been clarifying this for a while. I don't know if you all recall, but what, months ago now, I explained to this audience that we are in a recession. A recession is two economic quarters of negative growth. And that occurred. And then the United States government changed the definition of recession, as did the media. We were in a recession. What was happening around the same time? Well, Silicon Valley Bank was still making a ton of investments during a recession, a ton of risky investments in tech startups during a recession. Well, why would they do that? Well, because that was the popular line. That's what all the libs were doing because the libs were denying that there was a recession. True. So what else was happening? Well, this might shock you. Uh, inflation was going out of control. So what does the United States government do to try to control inflation? Well, they raise interest rates. Well, what does that do for people who are taking risky investments? It's not good. Interest rates being raised make it very difficult to invest money. Because right. you're looking at your securities having high interest rates, you're having to pay more for mortgages, like all of this other stuff is going on. It, it costs more. Interest rates mean that there's more money. Well, 
so when all of this money was flooding into Con Valley Bank, it was during a roaring economy under Donald Trump. It was during low interest rates because of the overmanagement of the Fed. Well, now the chickens are coming home to roost. Well, and not to mention they printed a gazillion dollars in money. Oh, yeah. Screwing the economy ever since. So maybe banks like this could have had, I mean, could have gotten through this. They could have, they're essentially the actions of the Fed and other financial institutions in response to COVID exacerbated every other problem in banking in the economy. So yeah. maybe this bank was being irresponsible, which they probably were. But at the same time, they could have maybe have been fine and maybe their own estimates were we can be a little irresponsible because it is good somehow. And then all of the other disruptions because with COVID and the war in Ukraine and all the sanctions on Russia suddenly pushed it over the edge. edge. And I think that goes for a lot of things in the United States right now is people were essentially being greedy and irresponsible, assuming that they had the... Um, Assuming that they had the maneuvering space to deal with, to, to, to pad things out enough that they could be greedy and irresponsible in one area and then it would be fine. I don't think, I think what nobody counted on is everything being greedy and irresponsible all at the same time at the cost of long-term stability. And I think the entire economy is now in a very unstable position because everybody was being greedy and irresponsible all at once. And nobody was essentially being the adult in the room saying we should probably have policy that is more flexible and capable of dealing with the massive disruptions that all the other irresponsibility and greed is creating. Well, and that's where it gets also fascinating is there's all of this stuff falling apart. Now, why would, of all the things in the world, why does it seem like the Democrats are now shilling to bail out a large bank. Well, it's because it's a large bank that funds all of their donors. True. I mean, it's Silicon Valley Bank. Silicon Valley. Not exactly a bastion of conservatism, is it? Tech startups True. that are all concerned about ESG and wokeism and, you know, talking about being disenfranchised communities. Not exactly bastions of conservatism, is it? No. This is a woke bank. That's exactly what, it, in fact, if you go to their website, if it's still up, if you go to their website, that is 100% what they're talking about. We're investing in net zero carbon companies. We're investing in disenfranchised LGBTQ businesses. We're so proud of supporting uh, you know, the, the people of color and indigenous people starting bank or starting, um, you know, or what was it? Yeah. Uh, entrepreneurs from, uh, communities that are people of color and, and indigenous, and it's a bunch of woke nonsense, but also all True. Democrat donors D don't like, they're going to try to play this game of, Oh, this can happen to you. The reality is the only reason why the Democrats care is because it's their moneymaker. There's probably a ton of them because it was popular. Understand that there was a big marketing push. This was the bank. This was the bank that you went to. If you wanted to show that you were a good liberal, this is where you put your money. Do you think Meghan Markle, like think about her for a second. I, I know, you know, we don't do a lot of celebrity news here, 
But do you think Meghan Markle invests the millions of dollars that her husband, the you know, former prince, I can't remember if he's fully been stripped of his titles, but the the former prince, do you, do you think she invests her money in what makes her look good or in what's going to make her good money? Do you think she's like a really brilliant financial advisor or do you think she's an Instagram idiot that will do whatever gets a good hashtag? I could see it going either way. I'm going to go with the good hashtag. I think one another issue that comes up with a lot of this is the major financial institutions like BlackRock, Vanguard, that have a huge amount of money to throw around that are absolutely, and this is something about COVID that I think ever, was the biggest wake up to me was all of these companies, and not necessarily COVID, but COVID, Black Lives Matter, the last, say, eight years, was watching all of these companies do things that did not reflect a focus on profit, which is the only thing I'm told prevents abuse in a free market system. So you can have companies like these, like all these banks promote pursuing things like these ES, uh, making policy based on ESG scores and social credit scores, et cetera, even though that will inevitably hurt their business, they are able to float those losses because pushing that, pushing the sort of social change of this great reset is worth the cost at it in profit and economic stability for them. And that is something that no one ever told me was possible because all of these free market businesses would never do something that crazy. What is kind of worrisome now is even if all of those policies turn out badly and cause something like a, this bank to fail, and if its failure is related to those sort of social engineering policies, will all the other social engineering, very heavily moneyed assets like BlackRock step in to spend even more money saving this bank so that their globalist New World Order project doesn't get derailed or even just doesn't get bad publicity. And that I think is it's the it's the ability of these groups to throw money around in the most irresponsible ways so they can continue to push their social change that I find the most worrisome. And I really feel like the you know Republicans or whoever is whoever says they are opposed to, to this sort of great reset social chains needs to contend with that it, we can't just rely on the free market to save us because the free market is so heavily, the scales of the free market have this giant, very well-funded thumb on them by people like BlackRock and the World Economic Forum. Yeah, not exactly a free market in reality. Right. It, and it's not free because these groups are intentionally trying to make it not free. It's not that it's not free because we just decided it is. It's that it's not free through an intentional effort by groups like BlackRock. Well, by, and by other potentially market institutions like BlackRock, which you could say maybe if you would put it as they have a monopoly on the ability to lend money. And that is what is causing these problems. And people would say, well, if there's a monopoly, it's not free. It's like, yeah, it's not free because at a certain level, very well-financed financial institutions and the people that make the rules are choosing for it to not be free, are working hard to make it not free. So free market solutions are not going to work. Yeah. They're picking winners and losers based on the color of their board, not based on the you know colors of their balance sheet. Exactly.
Mm -hmm. No, I mean, it's 100%. But so those are things that are trickling down from the government and the people who finance our current liberal government being, you know, the Biden administration. They're going to push. I mean, think about it, like BlackRock. Oh, my gosh. Like they're investing in Ukraine. They've obviously, you know, th these are the people that are going to be do that donated huge scads of money to the Biden administration, a bunch of their executives or, you know, our former Biden admin uh, officials or now some of their the executives are now Biden admin officials like it is very incestuous. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, BlackRock had a good amount of money invested. Uh, they were using, you know, uh, Silicon Valley Bank as as part of its portfolio. Um, well, I hate to break it to you folks. They're going to push really hard to get the government to bail them out. And the government's going to bail them out because they finance the government through its money laundering scheme of political donations. Right. I think one thing about BlackRock that needs to be remembered is that BlackRock is the favored financial institution by the United States Federal Reserve. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so and that only that's only going to that and that means that something that means the government is more willing to ensure that black, I mean it's it's just that incestuous relationship means it's going to be very very hard to to push back against things that BlackRock wants to do like these ESG scores. Well, and it's impressive because now can is there a free market answer that could help this bank? Yes. The answer is, is that a bunch of different capital comes in, buys all the securities that were backed by uh, by SVB, and then tries to basically get them back afloat. Like that, that can 100% happen. They can piece out the different assets of SVB, and then their depositors could end up getting their money back. Right. Uh, it might take time, of course, right? It's not going to be an immediate, but it might take some time. That can 100% happen. It's absolutely possible to occur. Uh, what are the Democrats going to push? That uh, billions and billions and billions of dollars of taxpayer money needs to go to this bank to bail it out under the guise of we're helping the, quote, depositors. But basically, this is exactly why SVB acted the way it did, because there's no risk. They're a super woke bank. Joe Biden's the president of the United States. Who cares if we flop? They'll just bail us out, just like we saw in 2008 and 2009. There's no pain for these people. Do you think, now, just so you're aware, the chief marketing officer, the chief financial officer, and the chief executive officer of SVB all sold a ton of their stock right before the bank crashed. Do you think any of them are going to go to jail? Do you think any of them are going to be punished in any way, shape, or form for what they did? Because it seems Gatsby. like they sure knew that things were going to go to hell. Yeah, it certainly does seem that way. It's very doubtful uh, that anything bad is going to happen to them for the bad decisions they made. Instead, Democrats are going to bail out a bank that made a bunch of very poor decisions and should be punished for it. And instead, the government's going to bail it out. Your taxes are going to go up because of it. Their rich friends are going to continue to donate to the Democrat party. And then the Democrats are going to pat themselves on the back and say that they helped you. They're going to tell you that they helped yeah. you.
And they're going to do it because they're, well, imagine how bad the financial collapse would have been if we hadn't stepped in and helped our friends with your tax money. I think what's going to be the most irritating part is watching liberals defend this and go, well, see, we got to we got to bail out the big banks because, you know, they, the economy depends on it. How else are we going to be able to finance sending billions to Ukraine if we don't bail out the big banks? Right. Which is weird because uh, they were infuriated over bailing out the big banks is one of the worst things that you could ever do. And it was all Republicans fault. But now it's OK. Right. Of course. Yeah, no, now no, it's I mean, fine. It's, it's totally fine now. It's okay now, which is interesting because a lot of people on the right who did previously support, you know, the bailouts or at least, you know, in some, some form and fashion, they did defend it as like, we had to do something or else the entire economy would hemorrhage and working class Americans would be basically decimated. Um, they defended it. There's a lot of people on the right over the last several years. This isn't new. This isn't recent. The Democrats are going to try to frame it as suddenly Republicans are against this. <clears throat> the reality is there's a ton of people that were like, that was a bad idea. We should have never done it. There's a lot of, well, uh, I mean, this audience is extremely smart. Do you think that um, on the right wing and the, you know, like America first uh, wing, which is, I would, I believe the majority of Republicans. Do you think they view the, uh, George W. Bush administration favorably still? I'm going to guess probably not. No, they don't at all. The Mitt Romney, John McCain, George W. Bush, uh, Republican party is in the dustbin of history with the voters. They don't like it. They can't stand it. So yeah. It's pretty easy to take a look at this and say, yeah, that's not popular with Republicans anymore. People view a lot of what occurred as a mistake. Paul, The Paul Ryan Republican Party was a mistake. And people see that. So oh, sure. like who who was who was the top person of the Republican Party when the bank bailouts happened? Well, it would have been the guy who previously ran for president of the United States and lost to Barack Obama. Well, that would be John McCain. Well, we, and you know, we very much love him. And who was the Hero speaker of, of the, the house? Vietnam War that he was. <laughs> who was the speaker of the house during some of this or the house minority leader, depending on what year you're looking at? Well, that would have been Paul Ryan. Hmm. I what mean, I don't think, think Paul Ryan, this? Paul Ryan wasn't in during the uh, bank bailout, but, um, you know, because, uh, well, there was all that stuff, but so the, it, I find it very fascinating to me. Um, and by the way, just so everyone is, you know, aware, like we want to make sure that we're as accurate as possible. Um, the house. So in, in 2007 to 2009, when the bank bailouts happened that were, you know, supposedly all the Republicans fault, just want to remind everybody that the Speaker of the House was Nancy Pelosi and the Senate majority was Democrat. Womp womp. But uh, weirdly, because now we're heading into... See, I think I predicted this. I'm pretty sure that I said um, if Republicans took Congress... Now, they've only taken the House. But if Republicans took Congress the economy was going to suddenly collapse and it was going to be Republicans fault. Well, of course it is. So, Look. I mean, yeah, 
So yeah, Nan- weird. Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden. We're seeing a lot of same names. Uh, but the point is, Democrats were wildly against bank bailouts. Now they're going to be for them, but it's going to be it's going to be because it hurts black and brown bodies. I'm sure something like well, that. that's why we justify everything. <laughs> now, it's also I mean, interestingly enough, this is bad news, but there's also more bad news. Uh, there's been a lot of so, of course, Democrats are infuriated because the January 6th footage was given over to Tucker Carlson, which is just an affront to everything. And there's been a lot of really great information that's come out of it. But before we dive into a lot of the stuff that I'm sure a lot of our audience already knows, there's something weird I want to point out. I get it. Like, it's dumb to point out the hypocrisy of things. But I do want want to mention something that I find very fascinating about a lot of it, which is, if you all remember, the January 6th committee existed. They were supposed to be investigating January 6th, the events that happened. And it was this committee that was put together and the Nancy Pelosi didn't allow actual Republicans to be part of it. And she handpicked Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger to represent the Republicans. And then the rest of it was a bunch of Democrats. Well, what did they do? If you guys recall when the January 6th committee was put together, they ended up with a news producer. I believe he was from ABC or NBC. I can't remember which one. But they had help from a news producer to create these primetime specials that were put on by the January 6th committee. Do you remember that? Barely. Yeah. They hired a news producer and then they wanted to do their hearings in primetime and air them on television. So why was it okay for all of this information to be given to a news producer for primetime airing on television? But if it was given to Tucker Carlson, it's now suddenly a massive affront. No one, no one's asking that question. Nobody's asking Democrats why it was okay then, but it's not okay now. Even Republicans right. aren't asking it, and it's because they all, they too, have the memories of goldfish. They're too busy. They're too busy reacting to what liberals say instead of being proactive and going on the attack like they should. But the reason why they're so upset about it is what actually came out of some of that information? Well, it's pretty simple. Tucker Carlson aired a bunch of footage of the QAnon shaman basically being led around by police. And I've seen a lot of shit takes on this on the right because there's a lot of people. Look, I'll address this, I think, simply. There were a lot of people on the right that saw what happened on January 6th. And to them, they went, this looks just like Black Lives Matter. I have to disavow this. I absolutely have to disavow this. I have to talk about how it's bad. Political violence is bad, no matter which side it does, blah, blah, blah. Very principled stance. That was, to them, that was a very principled stance to take because they can't be against rioting in Minnesota and then be okay with rioting in Washington, D.C., right? We saw a lot of people do that. Now... It's very interesting because those same people have to respond to Jacob Chansley being led around the Capitol by the police, but was thrown in prison for four years. Exactly. He was doing something that was so horrifically illegal. Then why were the police just walking next to him and not, I don't know, arresting him? Well, this is exactly... 
This is the problem. And this is how they muddy the water in these debates. Even people on the right will do this. This is what made us mad the whole time. Well, it's not just what made us mad. It's the fact that his claim during his trial was, I was led around by police. I clearly am not a violent insurgent. And then the government refused, the government told his defense attorney that this footage did not exist and thus it could not, was not able to be used during his trial to exonerate him. Exactly. That is a massive, incredible scandal. And I believe the lawyer has now basically said that it's a violation of what, is it the Brady Act? It's a violation of Brady. So, so people understand um, because uh, Democrats are going to try to muddy this, but this is really, I don't think people fully understand how big a deal this actually is. When I say it's a massive scandal, I think it should be considered a huge scandal because it was the government concealing. It was basically the government lying during the trial, to, concealing evidence that would could exonerate this an American citizen. The 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 Brady decision is a Supreme Court decision where because because prosecutors are the government the representatives the representatives of the united states government if they find any exculpatory information they are required by law to give that exculpatory information to the defense that is what brady is when you hear anyone legally mention brady it is the requirement by law that the prosecution the representatives of the united states government in a case if they have exculpatory evidence they are required by law to give it to the defense that's not that that it's already bad enough it's already bad enough that there were um video there was video of this guy being led around by police having doors opened for him having doors unlocked for him by the police being shown areas by the police basically being given a tour by police officers who did not arrest him at any point for committing a crime not only is it bad enough that the federal government did not when this when when this video footage existed did not provide it to the defense which is already required the defense was asking for it yeah, and that wild. makes it even more different because the defense was asking for it. And as stated by by the lawyer on Tucker Carlson, he's like, my client consistently said that he was led around by police. And so I requested from the prosecution any video evidence of my client being led around by police, which means, by the way, so so is the response that the prosecution just ignored that request and went, ah, I haven't seen it, so I don't care. Is that what happened? Or is I mean, it that that's they not, saw it? I don't believe that's how trials work, but in evidence, <laughs> but I, it, it, it's shocking that on the, the question that I, that I don't necessarily know the answer to right now is if their lawyer tried to, I guess, subpoena this, the, the footage. Mm-hmm. Oh, did, did he try to get the footage? Yes. He requested it. Yeah. Okay. And the, so essentially somebody then said, well, we're going to not give them this footage. We're going to lie to conceal this footage 
so that it cannot be shown during this politically motivated show trial. Oh, I can tell you exactly why they did it and why they okay. thought they'd get away with it. Because we've already heard the Democrats fess up to it. <clears throat> Do you know how the government got away with not revealing this footage to how? defense or not showing it to juries in hmm. these cases? Oh, how did they do that? National security. Wow, really? Oh, I promise you. I 100% promise you that's exactly the line that they're going to. Well, we didn't want to put this information into public record because it would endanger national security. I promise you. We're already you're correct. We're already seeing the Democrats say it. Tucker Carlson shouldn't be allowed to have this footage. It shouldn't be allowed to be shown to the American people because it's a threat to national security. There have and, absolutely been yeah. Democrat members of Congress who have gone out and said that Tucker Carlson is threatening national security because uh, nation state actors and, you know, ne'er-do-wells are, are, would be able to see this and be able to map out secret locations within the Capitol, you know, like where, uh, you know, where the bunkers are and where the, you know, weapons are stored for the police and all of that. They're already trying it. I promise you that the FBI, the Capitol Police, or whomever was using the excuse of national security to keep this information away from the defense because the entire aspect of January 6th was a setup from the beginning, and we've said it from the beginning. This was coordinated by the Federal Bureau of Investigation and other deep state organizations for the sake of making the right wing exactly like Black Lives Matter, but then making it look worse, making it seem worse. I believe that. Because yeah. it, th this is exactly what you're going to see. What you're going to see from the tapes and what's going to continue to be revealed from these tapes is that this was not a big deal. I, I know that there's a lot of squishy, spineless people on the right right now that are like, well, in one part of the building, sure, he's being led around, but in another part, there really was a riot. Ooh. No. Okay. And if that's true, fine. But that it's, to me, the focus needs to be on this guy was tr sent to a official trial and then the government hid evidence to make sure that he got convicted. Right. Because he had to. Yeah. I, he had to be convicted. It completely blows. It should completely blow the credibility of the entire of the government, the media, the Democrat Party. Because how long has this footage been available? Since the events, since the events of January sixth. Yeah, and yet no one felt the need to correct the record when all of these people were being called insurgents. It we all we know that this is the case. It's. We know this is the case, but now we can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that January 6th was a politically motivated Reichstag fire undertaken by the Democrat Party in cooperation with the national security apparatus of the United States and the media to push a, essentially a soft coup of the United States by demonizing an entire political party on the basis of a false flag event. And this is what's insane. What were the actual charges? Well, here are the charges. And you, most of you have seen the video of him being led around by police, but here's what he was charged with. He got 41 months in prison for this. Civil disorder, obstruction of an official proceeding, entering and remaining in a restricted building, 
disorderly and disruptive conduct conduct in a restricted building, violent entry and disorderly conduct in a Capitol building, parading, demonstrating, or picketing in a Capitol building. So he should have been arrested at any moment, not led around by police. Yeah, I I would argue if I was his lawyer, and granted, I have very limited idea of how the legal system works. I would essentially argue that because the police were not arresting him, he immediately were not arresting him. He was not aware that he was committing a crime. A hundred percent. Now and it's almost like, well, if the police aren't actively trying to arrest you, I can pretty well, I, I mean, I feel like you would be pretty reasonable in saying I was not clearly not committing these crimes or else the police would have been discharging their duties as officers. Well, I will tell you that interestingly enough, he has a new lawyer. Good. Um, his new lawyer happens to be a popular Twitter, uh, happens to be the same person as a popular Twitter account known as Shipwreck, Shipwrecked Crew, oh, who neat. honestly is kind of a, I've, I've gotten into arguments with this person because they're kind of a squishy Republican in a lot of ways. But I will say this much, where it matters, this person is a lawyer and I, it, I, I may be misremembering. I didn't go through my Twitter account to see things and the debates that I've had with Act Crew at the time. Um, but I'm fairly certain that they were not a fan of January 6th at all. But this lawyer looked at what happened with Jacob Chansley and said, well, I'm not going to let that fly. I don't care how I feel about January 6th or if I thought it was stupid or whatever. Doesn't matter. This person's rights were violated. Right. And that's great. And it's going to be interesting because he now has a new lawyer who's going to go out there. And I, it's, it's funny because Jacob Chansley, the QAnon shaman is the face of the January 6th insurrection. Remember, because he, because the guy looked so ridiculous, like the guy looked completely bananas, right? Yeah. And so the left loved putting him up. They loved using his picture because he looked like a crazy person. He had a silly Buffalo hat and his face painted and whatever. And so they just loved having his face be the face of January 6th, except he's probably going to get completely exonerated and let out of jail because this was a complete mishandling of justice, which because of the marketing campaign done by the Democrats and the liberal media is going to make all of January 6th look like a sham. Which is great, and I kind of wonder if this was even the point. Like, it doesn't matter if we put this guy away for life. Who cares? It's like, what matters is we got the media, we got the media circus, and we have now been able to implant in the minds of a bunch of Americans the story of it was a horrible riot and insurrection. Truly, white supremacist Trump supporters are a... And I think the goal of January 6th, a big goal of the media push on January 6th was to cement the idea that white supremacist MAGA supporters are a legitimate internal security threat to the safety of the United States. Because if that is able to be implanted into the minds of the American people, then when the U.S. government declares them a terrorist group and declares that all of the global war on terror security apparatus that we used against terrorists can be applied to racist MAGA supporters in the United States, there will not be pushback, or at least it will stop any pushback in its tracks. 
because they've already established these people are a legitimate security threat. It's the same thing as if they if there was not a legitimate security threat by all of these horrible MAGA white supremacist terrorists, why was it necessary to put all those National Guard people in the Capitol? It, well, it's a it is a way of manufacturing a they're basically manufacturing a memory. So a bunch of people can go, I remember when Joe Biden was elected, all of those MAGA people were basically t- terrorists that were such a big threat. They they were attacking all those police officers and they tried to coup against the Capitol. And that's why we had to get all the national. I remember seeing the National Guard in the Capitol and I was terrified for democracy when all of it was a sham. What they're manufacturing for people is this memory of, I remember when there was a plot to over a tr- they. They tried to attempt a coup in the United States, and that's why I'm, you know, supporting the government in confiscating all property and putting in jail everyone that was that contributed money to Donald Trump's campaign or what have you. Like I'm, that's why I'm, you know, not too concerned when the government started drone striking MAGA training camps in Wyoming. <laughs> but it is part of this, this, this concerted campaign by the media and with the cooperation of the intelligence community and the Democrat Party to manipulate the perceptions of people in the United States to believe a story about their own history that is completely false. And they've done this before with a lot of things, and it's amazing. Now what we're seeing is they're doing it in real time, and we only know about it because we have the internet and social media. Well, and... To to your point a little bit, you're you're absolutely correct that I mean a big part of this was to basically make it illegal to vote against Joe Biden. Um right. is the sense. But it was also a distraction. Oh, it was a massive, it was a massive distraction to make it basically illegal to question a very questionable election. Oh, most they certainly. wanted you to stop looking under the hood there for sure. That was a big part of what they were doing. So they made it socially unacceptable to pursue any questioning of the election itself. And notice, I, I I really hate to say it, it worked. It absolutely worked. Too many of our spineless Republican representatives who were going to stand up against the Democrats and say all that, all that they were going to do, all that was going to be requested by a lot of these representatives at the time that they were convening to vote on January 6th was that they waited a month that they waited a month to certify the results to ensure a an investigation into the results and some of the questions that were happening when it came to um how votes were handled in certain states because there were a lot of questions that would by the way think about this for a second if the government would have taken a month and everything came back and Joe Biden had won fair and square one, the Republicans would have had egg on their face and would have looked like a bunch of like crybabies. And the oh, Democrats, the it, Democrats, it would have could, legitimized Joe Biden's rule. It would have legitimized Joe Biden's rule. You're exactly right. Why the hell wouldn't the Democrats want to do that? That see, this is a this is the a great point that I would I keep trying to make about the whole election is the fact that there was such an attempt to prevent any audit or introspection on the election, I feel you could make the case, basically proves that there was, that the election was a fraud. Because <laughs> right. any, if you were, 
if you were Joe Biden, if you were the Democrats, and you wanted to actually legitimize your rule, to actually take away the ability for people to question the election, you would be transparent about it. It's almost like the, the fact that they were so against, the fact that they demonized any any introspection into the election pretty much proves that they're guilty because it would have been the most, the best way for them to eliminate those concerns was to eliminate those concerns through exposure to essentially the light of day. The fact that they made such an attempt to keep those things concealed when revealing them would have should have helped their case the most proves that they had something to hide. Exactly. Yeah. And so, but for some reason, this was the, the, the worst thing humanly possible that could have been done is yeah. for them to wait a few weeks to do some investigating. Mm -hmm. And instead, it worked like a charm. This riot happened seemingly out of nowhere. Certainly not planned by the FBI. Um, this happened, and then all of those representatives were like, oh, well, I don't want to be connected to this, so never mind. I'm just going to, we're just, we're just going to certify the election results. We're just going to certify Joe Biden. Yeah. And that's what happened. And yeah, it's absolutely the fault of a lot of those spineless Republicans. And people like Mike Pence. That's why we're so mad at these people. Because yeah. understand that. Understand that. Nobody was overthrowing an election. No, that was not happening. It was very clearly stated what was going to occur and what was being asked for at that time. The entire reason or the entire statement that was being made by some of these senators was that they were going to push, they were going to pass a motion to investigate the vote totals to ensure everything was above board and then they would certify the election. That was it. They were yeah. just going to ask for an extension for further investigation. And that became verboten. And anytime the government tells me I can't look under the hood, I have a problem. And I think what we're finding out now is, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look real bad because not only is this whole Jacob Chansley thing a, a big deal, um, especially knowing that the government hid exonerating information from his defense. But in addition to that, there's an awful lot of faces that we're seeing involved in January 6th that aren't showing up on any wanted lists, that aren't being investigated, that don't seem to have any interest in the federal government finding out their identities. Yeah. And, I think and that's why I am glad all of this video evidence is coming out and being able to be seen by people. Mm -hmm. Because it's it increasingly proves what we are saying is correct beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I think that as more information comes out, it is going to be so much harder to maintain the fiction about January 6th, which is now becoming a major basis legitimize, legitimize like that's what is legitimizing Joe Biden's rule is January 6th was a horrible, horrible fire, Reichstag fire. I mean, and if that... If that fantasy goes away, that will be a very good thing. And I think it is becoming increasingly impossible to maintain the party line about January 6th. Increasingly impossible for anyone to believe it, which is great because they are going to have to rely more and more on it as they get more pushback. Inevitably, 
inevitably the Democrats will return to January 6th more and more because they have nothing else to legitimize their rule. And as people, more people start to question it, they're only going to have to double down harder because they are in a position, and what is, I think, helpful to us, they cannot admit they were wrong. They doubled down so hard on January 6th as a, as a terrible, terrible coup attempt, and they took so many actions afterwards that they now cannot at all admit that it was not what they were, what they presented it as. They can't feign ignorance. They can't let it go. They can't pretend that they were overzealous because they doubled down on it so hard. And that's a very good place for us to be. It's really fascinating too, because, well, it maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. Um, I don't think anyone, even liberals, really give a shit about January 6th. I don't actually know a single, I see people on social media be like, bro, insurrection, oh geez. But I don't know a real human being in real life who acts like January 6th fundamentally is really anything. Right. I don't see yeah. them react to it at all. I don't think people, I think people just don't give a shit. I don't think it has, it hasn't had, the, it hasn't had an effect really for a very long time. Even when the January 6th committee hearings were happening, the only actual reflection that I ever saw come out of the January 6th committee hearing is the same shitbags on the internet that whine about Republicans and call them terrorists were now using different footage and different statements to whine and call Republicans terrorists. I never saw... I, I didn't I didn't see a rebirth of anything. Now, according to Colleen, she's saying she knows plenty of people that sure. are upset over like January 6th. But well, I'll, I'll ask this question. I'm not trying to trying to uh, negate what Colleen is saying on the chat here, but here's the real question. Are they already liberals? Are they just liberals that are using it as a new cudgel? Or are these Maybe. Republicans that are like, oh God, I'm a Democrat now because of January 6th? Right. And see, but see, I think that's what Colleen's talking about. Is that's, I think, the real message behind January 6th. They wanted to muddy the waters with the internal conversation to make half the country, to make it so confused that no one could really discuss it. That a lot of like liberals that do believe it, believe that it was this horrible coup attempt. I think that it's going to be very hard to convince them, even if you have new evidence. You'll only get them to double down harder because it's going to be so embarrassing for them to admit that they were fooled. And this goes for a lot of things that liberals believe. The, the, the reliance is on it's too inconceivable that somebody would lie about this, that the revelation that, of the lies, that has to be untrue or else I have to admit that I was gullible. Yeah, and like for me, I guess I guess the better way to state it is anyone that was never Trump is still never Trump. Anyone that's pro-Trump is still pro-Trump. Anyone that was that's a liberal is still a liberal. I didn't see January 6th actually move the needle the way that I think the left thought it would. And and let me explain why I'm saying that. Because Black Lives Matter did move the needle and it moved mm. against the Democrat Party. In fact, well, I know that for a fact. And the way that I know that for a fact is shortly after um, the midterms uh, during Trump's presidency, um, 
in 2018. If you guys recall, there was a phone call that happened between uh, representatives in the Democrat Party and specifically one of the, uh, I believe she's actually a senator, Abigail. No, she's a, a representative, Abigail Spanberger who's the representative for the area that I live in. And she's a Democrat. She was literally crying on the phone because all of the riots and all of like this other stuff almost lost her, her race. She almost lost in Virginia because part of her big tout was I was in law enforcement, but Mm. all the like defund police, Antifa, black lives matter garbage that was going on during the Trump presidency almost cost her a, what was supposed to be a solid blue seat in Virginia, in Northern Virginia. And she was sobbing on the phone because she was like, we need to stop this. And so what they anticipated was January 6th would have caused the same effect. A bunch of Republicans would be upset and would be grossed out or whatever. I don't know. And they would vote massively against Republicans, but it just simply didn't happen. Because the next midterm occurred and, well, Republicans took the House, maybe not by a huge margin, but they took the House. They lost the Senate, but let's be honest, that was more through stupidity and an ongoing civil war that was occurring in the Republican Party. Right. I think that the problem is they, as much as they might try, the actions of the Democrats are so, have been so revealed to be counter to the, to, to what we want, to the lives and security and future of anyone who's not a Democrat, that it's going to be really hard to browbeat people anymore into supporting Democrat nonsense. You know, I'd say, well, it doesn't matter what you say on (laughs) CNN. My city's infested with homeless people. My schools are teaching tranny nonsense. It's like, it's all so, it's all very real to people now. It's no longer theoretical of, do you want to support good things or racism? A lot of people go, I don't care about what you're theory, theoretical, theoretically saying about white supremacy and racism. I don't like that my kids are being taught tranny nonsense. I don't like that my, the crime rate is up and that I got my car broken into. Democrat policies are increasingly hitting people in reality. And I think that that is the biggest thing that's going to prevent, that's going to cause people to stop listening to what I guess the media has to say or stop caring about these theoreticals of, do you want to be a nice person? You're like, I don't really care as much about being a quote, nice person supporting your thing as I care about having an energy bill that isn't bankrupting my family or that my dollar isn't being destroyed through inflation. Those things are very real. And a lot of the Democrat Party nonsense, the progressive nonsense, relies on people wanting to be good on a theoretical basis. And I think, I feel it requires things to be going so well on a realistic basis that as things degenerate, it's going to be harder and harder to justify why we need all these progressive feel-good things when people's lives are going to be getting measurably more difficult. Well, and and what's more interesting is we're now seeing a resurgence of groups like Antifa. Um, for example, there we talked about it weeks ago where there was a police officer that was shot and killed because 
the uh, Atlanta police are building a training center and there's a bunch of there, there's basically a new Chaz. Yeah. Uh, that's formed and <clears throat> they're still there. And what made things even more interesting this week is they went and burned some equipment and they were launching fireworks at cops and all this other nonsense. And so there were people that were arrested for domestic terrorism charges to include a lawyer who works for the Southern Poverty Law Center. Hmm, interesting. Now, granted, the Southern Poverty Law Center is saying he was there as a legal server. See, that's the excuse that they use. There's literally zero, (laughs) literally zero conservative organizations that can say that their person was there as a legal observer and not have that completely demolished by the media. In fact, I I suggest that every single person still sitting in the DC gulag for participating in January 6 all declares themselves legal observers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what they're saying. Well, he was there on behalf of our organization as a legal observer. Okay. Dude, he was running around with people that were setting fire to things. Yeah. He was arrested by the police. Not not everyone involved was arrested by police, but he certainly was. So the point is, well, and, and on top of that, like he's a, by the way, well, okay, let's, let's take it on face value real quick. So this was a legal observer. Is the SPLC saying that they were providing legal counsel to domestic terrorists? I mean, if, if you're the SPLC gets to define who's a terrorist, basically. So I don't know how far that's going to get. Well, and that's, that's, that's the interesting part is even though it was supposed to not occur any longer, the SPLC regularly is referenced by the FBI for investigations into domestic terrorism. I don't know how to tell you guys this, but, uh, the calls are coming from inside the house. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly it. So the SPLC is out there supporting Antifa while they're attacking police, but they're going to say that the traditional Latin Catholic mass is a vector into domestic extremism. That's a real thing, by the way, that the SPLC said that the FBI sent a memorandum about that then had to be basically uh, hemmed and hawed over by Merrick Garland when he was being questioned in Congress this week. Saying like, well, I saw that memorandum and I was horrified. This is absolutely, we don't do that. We don't investigate people for going to mass. We, we, we don't do that. Except your FBI did. Your FBI was doing that. They published right. a memorandum saying people attending the Latin mass should be looked at. You were doing that. Why are you pretending like you weren't? Well, and the thing is, if even if that, what's terrifying, and the way I would hide this if I was them, is I would say, well, it's not official FBI policy. But people in the FBI were working to do this. And that's why you could say, well, it's deniable. Well, it's not an official policy. We don't officially do that. Right. Like, well, okay, but you had agents that were doing this on behest of the SPLC. It's like, well, that's a whole different can of worms. That's not my department. That's not what we need to talk about here today. That's somebody else. And again, it's like this is this is where the idea of the deep state comes into play is it's not like they're acting 
in the official capacity, but they're acting in an official capacity enough that they can take these actions while also having them be deniable uh, by their basically command at the top. Well, and like if they were doing it through official channels, they wouldn't get to be able to get away with it. But the whole point is to not do it through, not to do it overtly and officially, but to still just do it. Well, and and what's what's amazing too is there was a committee hearing on the um, Twitter files this mm-hmm. week, and it was complete. It I worry for other citizens of my country who will see these types of proceedings and not be horrified because they're more interested in Democrats winning or what, you know, owning the cons or whatever the hell you want to say to the effect of, first of all, a Democrat representative, well, non-voting representative from the Virgin islands, I believe it was referred to the two journalists who, by the way, are liberals as, quote, so-called journalists immediately trying to destroy their credibility for the very sin of what exactly? Reviewing internal communications at Twitter between the United States government and a social media company. Right. Like, I mean, and at the same time, he's just like, well, of course, this is what you do. If you were doing things that were wrong and illegal to rule the United States as a uniparty outside the the with the intentional effort to ensure that there was no longer freedom and liberty this is exactly what you'd do you mean you you would be exactly this way because that's the the plan i mean it shouldn't be shouldn't be surprising that uh they would take a line like this like basically accuse journalists of whatever because the end of the day what you really want to do is rule the united states outside the bounds of democracy and you're just gonna have to just lie about it otherwise like since they all know that's what they're doing, of course they're going to take actions like this. And what's insane to me is like what, what, what are you mad about? And what was amazing is like, so he there there was an exchange, and I'm sorry I wasn't able to pull the audio for it, but Jim Jordan is like very plainly. Well, there there was a representative, and I don't have his name in front of me, but there was a Democrat representative who like very hostily stated that at no point did the United States government request any removal of information that uh, wasn't that that was legal. Uh, He said any, any removal of information that wasn't criminal or what have you like Democrat representative said, there is zero proof whatsoever that the government attempted to restrict any sort of free speech. And then Jim Jordan's like, um, well, let me enter into the public record this email from the Biden administration that said, you need to remove this tweet. Right. And what's the response from the Democrat representative? It wasn't, oh, like he said, like, oh, I haven't seen it. What's the body of the tweet? What does the tweet say? It doesn't matter. He said that basically what he was implying was that the government would only request the removal of content if it were illegal, which makes sense, right? If it were criminal, 
you know, somebody, I don't know, sure. selling drugs or doing something that's obviously illegal, like child porn or whatever. Um, <clears throat> he, but, but this is what the Democrat wanted to do. He would, well, read the tweet, read the tweet, read the tweet. Why? So then everyone can debate whether or not that should be on Twitter. That's not, it doesn't matter. The whole point of the first amendment is the government doesn't get to decide what should and should not be talked about. Sure. But you see, this is exactly what they want to do. Well, what was the tweet? Specifically, the tweet actually was um, RFK Jr. was tweeting about the death of Hank Aaron. Okay. So, like, he's suggesting that, you know, vaccine stuff and, and COVID stuff and whatever. Doesn't matter. It's not illegal. He can say whatever he wants. It doesn't matter if he said space alien. It doesn't matter if he said the entire government was run by lizard people. That's not illegal speech. Doesn't matter. I mean, but the it Democrat, would be if you were the lizard people. Yeah, I mean, if you were the lizard people, you wouldn't want anyone talking about it. So you'd try to, you'd call it disinformation. Of course. <laughs> but how how amazing is it that when he, and by the way, I watched, I watched Democrat accounts be like, this guy totally owned Jim Jordan. Uh, look at this, look at this tard. Oh my God. It's like, what are you, come on, man. Like. Seriously, we can all agree that the United States government shouldn't be allowed to choose what people can put on Twitter, right? Like, do we still all agree on that? Uh, I don't think we do. I think that a lot of liberals in their heart of hearts know that if they're able to control how people talk, they will be able to control how people vote. And I think they also know that if they prevent their enemies from exposing their corruption, then they will have they will be able to keep control. Think back to the Hillary Clinton campaign. That was the lesson they really learned. Was if we stop pe if we can stop people from discussing or sharing information about our corruption, then we can be corrupt and we can win. And that that's I believe the real goal. The real goal is we want to be corrupt and we want to win. How can we do that? Well, if we stop people from talking to each other about our corruption, then we can have our cake and eat it too. Yeah, no, I mean, well, yeah, and that is that is the thing. And it's true. Liberals, because they believe they're in power, they want control of speech because they believe they're in power. But the minute that they think that that's threatened, they're going to become the greatest advocates of free speech you've ever seen. Right. And, and, but that's, and this is truly, by the way, a very big difference between the right and the left. The, the baseline thing of a lot of people on the right and a majority of the you know listeners in this audience is they just want to be left alone. At the end of the day, their biggest priority is leave me alone. Let me, let me be me. Let me do me and just leave yeah. me alone. But liberals don't, they, they do want to regularly shape society. They believe yeah, they want to you, change the world. Yeah. You need to be changed fundamentally. You need to be pushed, uh, into doing what they want you to do. So in reality, even, even if we had total control of the government on the right, for the most part, you would just have your, your liberty would be fine. Because Republicans inherently don't really want to mess with your stuff. Sure. But if Democrats were given unilateral power, it's 100%. You're going to have to be a liberal. 
you're going to, and we, we already see it. Like everyone already sees the foundations of it. That's the whole point of the quote, you know, cancel culture and all of this other stuff is you have to believe certain things. And if you don't, you will be ostracized from the community. And they are now trying to back that with government power. And They've the question worked is on always, society. well, why? Like, why do I have to believe these certain things? Why can't we talk about certain things? And it is because they know that if people freely share information, it will expose them as liars, frauds, and malicious actors. Well, I think I, I think what you're actually touching on here is the reality of, I, I know I said this uh, a couple of years ago, one of the things that is the most notable from how the left is acting is they are actually not in power. They are meaning they might be in power but they are not popular because one of the biggest fears they feel threatened. Yes. Yeah. One of the biggest fears that they have is the ability for anyone else to talk. And I don't, I don't even mean like the large purveyors. They're not like, yeah, they're afraid of Tucker Carlson. Sure. They're actually more afraid of is you watching Tucker Carlson and then feeling free enough to talk to other people about what you saw because this and this is truly the weirdest change that I've seen when it comes to information operations being pushed by the left and the media is they're actually the most afraid of regular Americans talking to one another and taking those opinions and giving any merit to those opinions. Because notice how the left has changed a lot of its language. The only people who are allowed to talk about subjects are, quote, experts. Sure. You're not allowed to talk about it. You're not allowed to have an opinion. Your opinion is completely invalid unless you're an expert. Now, yep. what happens if an expert has a wrongful opinion? For instance, let's just say Matt Talibi. Matt Talibi is the guy who's been releasing a lot of the Twitter files. He's an award-winning journalist. He's a leftist and an award-winning journalist. Now he's a so-called journalist. He's no longer an expert. He doesn't get to be an expert anymore because he has the wrong opinion. It's as simple yeah. as that. And so like, that's exactly what's occurring here. They're actually afraid of regular people talking to one another. Of course they are. And yeah. that's why it's, in, but that's why I think that it, all out of this is very doomed because the average say Democrat voting American doesn't feel this way and has been primed through years and years of propaganda about what does it look like when we had fascism? And I feel like it's going to ring very awkwardly to a lot of the no those normal people that happen to vote Democrat. And I don't think they're going to buy it. I think that's why I think their majority kind of checking out of politics a bit and our side's only getting stronger. I think maybe maybe that's it. But there's there's a lot of liberals. They believe a lot of really dumb things. But increasingly, they're unable to maintain their that fiction. For example, the one one thing that I, someone mentioned that I think back to a lot is if you are a like think of like people graduating college now. You can't be in graduating college of that younger persuasion now and be undecided. Every single person that is graduating college is, is picking a side. And I think increasingly people are picking a side. Mm -hmm. And the vast majority of Democrat voting Americans, I think, are mostly in the undecided category. 
they don't want to be bothered by this and they don't really like it and they've yet to pick a side but inevitably we're going to be in a situation where everybody has to pick a side and i think that a lot of them are not going to pick democrat even if they don't want to admit it even if they don't say it publicly i get the feeling like most normal americans when push comes to shove are going to feel very alienated by the left wing there was what i believe is a absolute masterclass in trolling the left wing that was done by ron DeSantis this week mm. um and it really 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 highlighted some stuff i mean it just like it, sometimes you get lucky i'll put it that way i mean sometimes okay. you get lucky and what it was is ron DeSantis uh put out i believe it was on instagram maybe even on twitter a photo of a page from a book that was in an elementary school in Broward County, Florida. Okay. They put it out to highlight, these are the books that we are pulling out of schools. These are the books. The specific page was a, it's a, it's a comic book, but it was showing the proper use and insertion of a butt plug. And it's from that book, Gender Queer, that people have seen a lot of different. Um, what age group was this book being? This was in elementary to? school. Elementary school. Okay. A book about sex toys in an elementary school. Exactly. Now, this is a very, I, again, I think I agree with you. People like Ron DeSantis or anyone really, all we have to do is just show people what the left does. Right. We can just say, well, this, is what the, this is what they are trying to protect. I think most people will go, that's horrible. I don't want anything to do with that. And that's, I think, again, this is why they have such a problem with free speech, because it's so easy for us to simply go, do you want the thing that they want? And most people, I believe, will go, ugh, <laughs> no, I want them to not be able to do that. Well, you know what makes it even funnier and what makes it truly a masterclass when it comes to trolling? Yeah. Well, of course like the media is going to cover this, right? Yeah. Well, so they did, but how, how did the liberal media who wants to talk about book banning and the racism and the fascism of Ron DeSantis, when the media had to cover this, they had to bring up that he put out a social media post of basically just this social media post claiming that these were the types of books that he was banning. Yeah. They had to censor the image on television. Isn't that great? They had to censor the image. It's hilarious. No, and this is a, this is a, I mean, that's a great, great way to do this. Because a bunch of people, how do you cover it on CNN saying, he's trying to ban these books that are so valuable to the, to the development and health of our children. Oh, yeah. And what page was he, what was he trying to ban? He shared this page. Well, we can't show it to you because it actually violates our policy on pornographic materials show television but trust us that it was absolutely not what he says it was yeah yeah we can't show you because it was literally porn that was in an elementary school oh and by the way it wasn't a mistake because it's the same porn that he keeps saying is in elementary school yeah like <sighs> fantastic guys, figure it out it was an absolute perfect perfect way to present it because i even watched democrats like nikki freed 
who uh, tried to run against DeSantis and even lost her own primary, but now she's the head of the Florida Democrat Party. Genius. Her trying to make fun of like, wow, you know, Ron DeSantis sharing an image of a butt plug on his uh, Instagram to own the libs. And then a bunch of people were like, but this was in an elementary school and this was a thing that you supported. You supported this in front of children. And then she had to actually respond, of course, I don't think that this is appropriate in a school, but that doesn't mean he gets to just ban books. And everyone's like, but this is like, so you agree with what he's doing? Yeah. Like All he's doing is saying, maybe we don't give porn to children. And the left is going, that's a fascism. Hilarious. <laughs> it, it is great. All right, but we're going to end up having to close the show out because we're about to get, a, you know, boxed by the time limits of Podbean, which is great even though because normally it's just a two-hour program anyway. Um, but now we will be obviously, uh, hopefully we'll be around next week. I'll let everyone know via our Discord, which the easiest way to get access to our Discord is to become a subscriber over at subscribestar.com forward slash wrongthinkradio. And it's only two ninety nine a month and you help keep the lights on on the program here. And then uh, we'll make those announcements obviously on Twitter. So make sure to follow us on Twitter. Make sure to join our Discord and have a conversation with our wonderful community over there. Other than that, I'm Aaron from the East Coast. I'm Alan from the West Coast. And this is Wrong Think Radio.